0: Well, hey, this is your old friend, Bill. Whenever I find myself in Davis, I'm busy putting the fun in fundraising. But when I'm not, I always listen to KDVS 90.3 FM, and you should too. Go Aggies!
1: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You know, it gets worse every week. We keep amassing data. There's piles all over the floor. we got stuff we want to talk about. We just, we're not getting to all of it, but we'll take a stab. Uh, this is our first post-election and post-Oscar show. Uh, Dr. Andy Jones came on last week to give us his Oscar predictions. He did pretty well, actually, and uh, had a little convocation over at his house, which, uh, which I attended, and boy, people really do care about the Oscars uh, to a surprising degree. No less than four people scored 18 correct on Oscar predictions. Pretty good. I was kind of hoping Seabiscuit would do okay so we could re-air our interview with Frank Sorcy. We should go interview Frank again anyway. That was such a fun interview last August. Uh, But anyway, as you know, Lord of the Rings did pretty well. Uh, Sean Penn edged out Bill Murray, who uh, I guess, you know, looking glum for 90 minutes wasn't enough to win him an Oscar, and I like Bill Murray, but but no, it was Sean Penn's night and it was uh, Charlize Theron, who was, for the second year in a row... A Hollywood actress who's good-looking was made up to look ugly and won an Oscar. Now, um, I don't know. There seems to be a trend here, and I think it's been noted by the actresses in Hollywood because the rumor we have is that uh, Meg Ryan has now signed on to do Bride of the Wolfman for this coming year, and Julia Roberts, for her part, apparently wants to do a property called Serena de Bergerac. And uh, Barbara Streisand has signed on for a project that is as yet unspecified. So look forward next year to uh, more uh, nose makeup up on the Oscar dais. Anyway, we're much more interested in the Razzie Awards. You know, uh, every year at, Hol- at Oscar time, the uh, Golden Raspberry Awards are given out um, for appropriate um, appropriate recipients. This was founded by a man named John Wilson, and we're happy to report that um, this year, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez cleaned up with their mob comedy flop, Jiggly. This is the first movie to take all six top trophies in the annual Dishonorable Mention Awards. Jiggly was 2003's worst picture, Affleck was worst actor, Lopez was worst actress, the two were the worst screen couple, and jiggly filmmaker Martin Brest took the Razzie for worst director and worst screenplay. Congratulations to Martin Brest. Now we wanted we wanted to get someone to talk about this movie, and uh, I, I sent an email to Gary Chu, and he said, "Well, I didn't see this movie for all of the obvious reasons, <laughs> so no, I can't comment on it." But um, uh, this one really did apparently sway the judges, according to John Wilson there was something special about Jiggly, a film which starred Affleck as a thug smitten by Lopez as a lesbian crime colleague. Now, this film did fall short of the record, the tie for the seven Razzies that were won both by Showgirls and John Travolta's immortal Battlefield Earth, based on (laughs) possibly the worst novel in sci-fi ever written by a founder of a major religion. Uh, But Wilson said, those are much better bad movies if that makes any sense both showgirls and battlefield earth if you sit through them with the right people or the right brand of liquor they can be strangely entertaining but i don't care how medicated you are or what people you're watching it with jiggly is just a pain in the posterior it's one of those things that is as opposed to enjoyably embarrassing just skin-crawlingly embarrassing jiggly cost 54 million to make but earned back just 6 million dollars Another award of note went to Sylvester Stallone. He padded his Razzie resume with a record 10th award, this time for the worst supporting actor in Spy Kids 3D, colon, Game Over. Stallone's past Razzies include one for the worst actor of the 20th century. (laughs) Apparently in Spy Kids 3D, Stallone plays five characters. Wilson noted that technically... He could have made up the entire whole supporting actor category on the basis of these performances. And evidently, the storybook adaption, Dr. Seuss, the cat in the hat, won the Razzie for Worst Excuse for a Movie. We're going to try and go to Hollywood uh, for some comments on, on the Razzies, etc. And uh, I guess we should talk about the election, but you know what? <laughs> I'm in no hurry to get to elections. Let's talk a little bit more about Hollywood. The big story uh, in the movies right now, of course, is *The Passion of the Christ*, uh, Mel Gibson's movie. We're going to devote probably a whole segment to that movie either next week or the week after, because uh, it's inflaming passions and needs to be talked about. We need to talk about, you know, we need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about the Christ. I mean, you know, the Christ is the Greek the Greek word for the Messiah. Which is a Jewish concept, uh, we should talk about this. Jews obviously have never quite bought the idea that Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, uh, was their Messiah. I mean, he's supposed to be the Jewish Messiah, but Jews don't believe he was. We need to go into that. It's a very interesting historical matter and uh, some interesting cinema apparently as well, although I don't know if it's interesting cinema. It's this interesting story behind the cinema. I haven't seen it yet, but by all accounts, It's not exactly scintillating filmmaking, but it's killing at the box office, $125 million on the first weekend. Um, In conjunction with this, we'll, we'll leave that story for the time being, but in conjunction with this, I ran across an item in the magazine Mental Floss that cries out for attention on this program. I must direct your attention to this item. Page 16 of the current issue of Mental Floss titled, Losing My Religion, Holy Foreskin. The relics of saints have long been seen as a means of connecting ordinary people to the divine. Mummified bits of everyone from the Buddha to Muhammad scatter the globe. So for Christians, the Alpha and the Omega of relics would be, of course, a piece of Jesus' body. Unfortunately, the New Testament leaves no doubt that Christ's body was taken up to heaven, rendering relic hunting futile. That is, except for one possibility. Second paragraph. Jesus was fully human as well as fully divine, right? And a Jew. Ergo, he A. had a penis, and it was B. circumcised. So medieval Europeans set out in droves to find out the last snippet of their Lord and Savior. Several reputed foreskins appeared, most notably one at a parish north of Rome and another in Charro, France, where citizens claimed they got the one true foreskin from Charlemagne. By the 16th century, the Chereau foreskin was seen as the most, quote, legitimate, unquote. The editor said, we don't care to imagine how such a decision was made. And Pope Clement VII granted dispensations to all who made pilgrimages to it. But by the early 20th century, the church wanted to come around to the notion that it was a little weird to have God's, um, you know on display in public, and vacations to see the foreskin waned. Since then, it has disappeared, purportedly stolen, in 1983. Unbelievable. On the other hand... If you go to Stockton, California, you can see an exhibit that exists to celebrate the Shroud of Turin because the people of the museum believe that the Shroud of Turin is legitimate. And at some point, uh, maybe around April Fool's, I don't know, we need to address the issue of the Shroud of Turin, one of the most bogus religious (laughs) relics you could possibly hope to find anywhere on earth. It is ridiculous that people actually believe this could be the burial shroud of Jesus. Let me tell you. There's a few problems with that proposal, but we'll go into that another day. All right, let's talk a little bit about the the election. We had Senator Tom McClintock on last week, which I think surprised a lot of people, Uh, perhaps surprised folks to hear me agreeing with um, a senator known for his conservative stance. As it turns out, in election day, Senator McClintock did not get his way on uh, two of the three propositions we talked about, 57 and 58 which is uh, a way for Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to borrow lots of money to basically pay off the debt and then pay off the loan that he borrowed to pay off the debt, plus the interest on the loan that paid off the debt. I didn't think that made a lot of sense, but uh, it was passed into law, and that's what California is going to do. So I guess we're going to have to make the best of it. I don't look forward to paying these $6 billion in interest. I'll, I'm accepting uh, Tom McClintock's statistics on that. He's, he's a man known for, you know, knowing the stats. So that's probably, that's probably about right. $6 billion extra billion we're going to pay now to service the debt on those bonds. Advocates of fiscal responsibility will probably be pleased by the outcome on Prop 56, however, which was thumped. It lost 2 to 1. This was an effort to change um, the... The status of um, the majority needed to pass a budget and tax-related issues in California from two-thirds majority to 55 percent—that went down in flames. Uh, my producer doesn't agree with me on this one, but—and I, and I agree, this allows a small minority to, you know, to bugger up the budget process. And that can be bad, but uh, I do tend to take the viewpoint uh, that we quoted from Mark Twain on last week's show that, you know, no man's life and property are ever safe when the legislature's in session. And, you know, that just means they can get up to more mischief easier, in my opinion. Well, regardless of who's right, uh, it didn't pass. And that, you know, is not going to be enacted into law. We were also deeply involved in the Sacramento mayoral race. We are sad to report that Mayor Heather Fargo won uh, handily. She won well over 50%. There will be no runoff between her and Ross Rellis. We did notice that, uh, that Mayor Fargo was able to roll over about $100,000 from her 2000 campaign, which was, uh, which was operating under a no-limits policy, The Sacramento City Council imposed contribution limits in January of 2001, but Mayor Fargo pretty much just rolled over the cash from last time and had a much bigger bankroll than any of the people running against her. According to the Sacramento Bee, the mayor paid out more than than $148,000 for commercial airtime on five local TV stations and gave $25,000 to Joaquin Ross Media. Joaquin Ross is the son of Richie Ross, Democratic consultant-lobbyist fixer, who has worked for Fargo. Richie Ross also works, of course, for the uh, boy billionaires uh, Joe and um, Gavin Maloof, owners of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, another item did catch our eye from the Sacramento Bee: March 1st, Joe Maloof wins one million dollars in blackjack event. Apparently, Joe Maloof uh, took part in a um, a 48-person invitation-only event at the Barona Valley Ranch Resort and Casino in Lakeside near San Diego and was the big winner of a million dollars, which I guess will probably go a long way toward financing future mayoral campaigns by certain individuals in this town. I did note in the campaign that, uh, that Mayor Fargo did uh, sort of deftly try and sidestep issues about whether she was going to hang the public out to dry on this issue of building a downtown stadium for the benefit of billionaires. And, uh, well, I guess she got away with it. And it's pretty much official. The media, of course, has decided, and I don't understand this, I saw a, a, a Democratic quote, debate, unquote, right before Super Tuesday. And it featured John Kerry, John Edwards, Al Sharpton, and Dennis Kucinich. Now, Dennis Kucinich, of course, has been dissed by the media from day one, even though he was raised a substantial amount of money. He's been treated as just a zero, a nobody, you know, a guy not worth talking to because he can't win. Well, if you listen to what Dennis Kucinich had to say, He's got a lot of good points to make. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's got a lot of good points to make, and he's a genuine, viable candidate. He didn't get near the publicity that Al Sharpton did. Al Sharpton is being run by the Republican Party, and he gets more favorable publicity than Dennis Kucinich. What is going on in this country? We brought to you on this program a few weeks ago this revelation about Roger Stone running Sharpton. And uh, when a friend of mine heard about this, he just asked, why isn't this page one on every newspaper across the United States? Not only was it not on page one, you saw Al Sharpton at the table in the debate with the three other remaining legitimate Democratic candidates pretending that he is one too. Disgraceful. It's, uh, it's going to be John Kerry. Uh, you know, like him or not like him, I'm decidedly unenthusiastic and I think probably you should be too. But on the other hand... With, faced with the prospect of reelecting what is, uh, I think, without any doubt in, in, in doubt in my mind, the worst administration of my lifetime, it's time for a change. And, of course, we'll be following that story in the weeks to come. We don't need to dwell on it any more than that today. We'll come back to that one. Now, uh, an issue that is worthy of mention is the fact that uh, frozen screens and malfunctioning computers were plaguing Some Super Tuesday voters who tried to cast electronic ballots and experts predict such problems will be repeated on a national scale in November. We'll be returning to this story as well. This is a big story that's getting some play, not as much as it deserves. Some computer scientists say electronic systems expose elections to hackers, software bugs, and power outages with potentially catastrophic consequences. Uh, critics say that because most electronic voting terminals do not produce paper records, there's no way to ensure accurate recounts. There is, uh, There are some bills out there now. New Jersey Democratic Representative Rush Holt has authored a bill to require paper records for every electronic ballot. That would be a good idea. Okay, stay tuned. We're going to keep following that story. I'm going to stop talking politics at this point. We're going to pick this up again uh, on next week's program. A couple of issues we will be getting into are the Iranian state radio report that Osama bin Laden has been captured, or at least has been kept under ice somewhere on the Afghani-Pakistani border. It's an interesting story. There's a couple of websites we'll tell you about next week regarding this uh, ongoing search for Osama. Some people think he's going to turn up uh, late October, maybe early November, just before the election. In fact, we're announcing right now in the program, we'll, we'll flesh this out for you in the weeks to come but we're going to have a contest. If you can pick the person who picks the closest hour and date to the exact date which Osama bin Laden is suddenly captured next fall, we will have a prize, a very special prize available to you, uh, t-shirts, and probably even, we'll probably even throw in $100 cash bonus. I'm not sure we can do that in non-commercial radio, but if we can clear that with the, with the management, we're going to do that right here on this program. According to Minnesota Public Radio's Marketplace, the government is trying to reclassify fast food jobs as manufacturing, quote-unquote. Returning to the program to discuss this unsettling development is Mr. Tex McDaniel. Welcome back to Radio Parallax, Tex.
0: Oh, I can assure you the pleasure is mine.
1: Now, how did you get a job as spokesman for the federal government?
0: It was an outsourced item on the budget.
1: Being a federal spokesman.
0: Oh, yes. Outsourcing is very big, my friend. But we have a big labor force where we are here.
1: Which is in, uh, Texas, you say?
0: Oh, yes. Deep in the heart of Texas, partner. My wife was just in Fort Worth. I see. And I myself, a big fan of the Dallas Mavericks. I love them.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Tex, what about this effort to reclassify fast food and other service-type employment as manufacturing jobs? What about it? Was it true?
0: It is an ongoing thing. There has been much negative press over lost manufacturing jobs.
1: Well, that's certainly true.
0: But we wish people see the glasses are full. We wish to be optimistic.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So hamburger frying has been reclassified as manufacturing by the Bush administration. Not quite yet. Tex, isn't it odd to classify flipping burgers in the same category as steel mill work or shipbuilding?
0: My friend, it is not exactly the same. No, but similar. Until now, this assemblage, which must go into any hamburger-like product, was not regarded as manufacturing.
1: Well, why should it be?
0: What is creating a product from inputs, no?
1: Well, from burger meat, lettuce, ketchup.
0: Also, special sauce, pickled products, mustard, the mayo, and cheese. It is quite complex without even addressing the issue of the sesame seed bun, yes? Not everyone can do it. No? Have you ever tried to create a double whopper with cheese Hold the mustard extra mayo?
1: Well, no, I can't say as I have.
0: With all due respect, then, Perhaps you should withhold comment. It is not so easy.
1: Oh, okay. But are are those manufacturing jobs?
0: We think so. Are you making something? Yes. Making something is manufacture.
1: Well, some argue this is more Bush administration fudging of numbers in an election year.
0: My friend, the statistics should always be complete, you know? Not just these gloomy gas predictions, which can leave one down at the mouth. We say, don't worry. Be happy. Yeah. Well,
1: well, thank you for coming on to explain how U.S. government statistics will reflect our new burgeoning manufacturing sector, the construction of the hamburger.
0: Mm, you are so welcome, my friend. And would you like fries with that?
1: Um, well, no thanks, Tex, but come again.
0: Okay. <laughs>